This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's now time for the scripture reading. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, may I invite Sister Hui Li to read for us uh, today's passage. Scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. For we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We, you are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in wrecks, we are brutally treated. We are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? 
Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, everyone. Okay, I've got a mask on. Got my uh, strange Chinese medicine and my water and my pipakao. So hopefully we'll be able to get through this uh, half an hour without me coughing too much. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as I as we come before you this morning, we pray that uh, indeed, as every time we open your word, that we open with uh, a great expectation to hear you. And uh, this morning we pray all the more because it really strikes at the heart of who we are, to our desire for status, for pride, for our ego. And uh, we just pray that you may instruct us through your word today about, the, about how this relates to us as Christians. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, when I was young, I remember one of my most valued possessions were these Predator Adidas football boots. Now, for those of you who, who don't play football, you might think this is not a very big deal. But uh, I bought these boots and they really meant a lot to me. Why? Because people like uh, Zinedine Zidane, do you know who this is? Okay. Uh, Paul Gascoigne, and I'm sure you all know David Beckham used to wear these football boots, right? And I thought, okay, I must really get them even though they cost a lot. I remember when I, I started playing basketball, my first basketball boots was really lousy. It was a pair of these Converse canvas things. But my second boots were really expensive. They were these Nike Air Jordan 3s. Okay, now, if you Google it, you'll see that these are really famous shoes. Why? Because Michael Jordan uh, used to wear them, right? This is like the, second, the third of the Air Jordan lines. Remember later, as I got older, and I started playing golf, I bought this red Nike uh, shirt, right? Why is that? Because this is a famous shirt that Tiger Woods wears every time he plays his final round. Now, why is it people like myself and millions of other people end up spending like a gazillion dollars buying all this merchandise? I think part of the reason is because we feel like, you know, if these famous people wear it, then if I wear it too, part of their prestige, their status, and success can rub off on me, right? Now, the question that we really want to ask ourselves this morning is, as Christians, what is our attitude to the seeking and the desiring of status, of prestige, of success in the eyes of our friends, our relatives, strangers, people on Facebook, our Instagrams, our Twitter accounts? Is it appropriate for us as Christians to want to be seeking and desiring this sort of status and prestige. Now, the Corinthian Christians, they were seeking prestige and success and, uh, and uh, I guess, approval from the people around them as well. And what they were doing, as we've been seeing, was that they were following the popular Christian leaders of their day, people like the Apostle Paul and Apollos that followed after him. Paul, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, asked this very important question. What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? He said to them last week, they're only servants, right? Only servants. And the idea of servants here, we saw last week, was that this is like domestic servants. People who, in John chapter 2, were instructed by Jesus and his mother to fill the water jars to serve the guests. This is what Paul said last week, right? He was saying that they're only servants of Paul and Apollos 
to whom the Lord has assigned each task. They all have one purpose, and they're all co-workers in God's service. And so last week we saw that because they're only servants in this way, assigned to the task that God has given them, each having one purpose by having different roles, and all work co-workers in God's service, then therefore, this sort of um, adulation and factions and divisions and quarrels over Christian leaders is wrong. Now this week, Paul continues the same imagery, the same arguments that he did from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So this week, in um, chapter 4, he says that to them, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Okay, so he's, he's looking back at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But he introduces new ideas. And as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed, it was required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now you notice here, he says that they ought to. They ought to. In other translations, like in ESV, it says you must or should. Right? So this is actually a command. The seeing and regarding and looking at the apostles and Christian teachers is not optional. Right? They, they must see them as servants of Christ because that's what they really are. He goes to tell them that the very definition of being a servant, and especially a servant of Christ, is that you are entrusted with things. It's the same word here, entrusted and trust, right? It's like a, a domestic uh, servant in the ancient days, in the estate, in the house, would be entrusted to do various tasks. And that's what they were supposed to do. And that's what Paul says that he is meant to do. But the task that is being trusted to him is with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been seeing hints of what this mystery is supposed to be. So, the John chapter 2, they were entrusted, these servants, with serving the wine. But the mysteries that has been entrusted to Paul and Apollos is the wisdom of God, right? This mystery, which is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, which is about righteousness, holiness, and redemption, in which God destined for the glory of Christians before the time began. So this is the mystery that has been entrusted to Paul and Apollos. Now, to be a good servant is to be faithful to the trust that you've been given. It is the Lord who judges Paul, he says. He says he doesn't care whether he is judged by the Corinthian church. He doesn't care whether he's judged by the Corinthian non-Christians. He doesn't care to judge himself. Because at the end of the day, it is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who judges him. Now, I remember many years ago, my grandfather was still alive. <clears throat> he used to live in Janan Pelimpin. He used to live with my uncle. And I used to visit my uncle quite regularly to see my grandfather who was in his 90s. Now, our uncle had a, a, a domestic servant, a maid, who was supposed to be looking after my grandfather. But when I visited my grandfather, there were many times where I felt, actually, she's not really doing a very good job looking after my geriatric grandfather. Right? But I soon realized that actually it's not my place to judge my uncle's maid, right? My uncle's domestic servant. Because for all I know, my uncle might have told her, can you please focus on cooking? Can you please focus on doing, looking after the household and making sure that everything is really clean? It's not for me to tell my uncle's maid, oh, 
can you please spend more time looking after my grandfather because it's not my maid, it's not my domestic servant. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the Corinthian Christians, in a sense, have no basis to judge him, neither do the non-Christian Corinthians, because it is God who is his master, right? He is a servant to the Lord Jesus. And so Paul goes on to say, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and expose the motives of the hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, this idea of judging nothing can be easily misunderstood, right? We need to understand what does it mean to judge. Now, Paul is not saying that as Christians, we should not be discerning and judging at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we will see maybe next year, that we see that's actually false teaching that's happening in the Corinthian church. There were some people who were preaching there was no resurrection from the dead. So obviously Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, wants the Corinthian Christians to judge, to be discerning about false teachers and false teaching. But what he's saying here in this passage is to judge nothing before the appointed time means that they have no basis to judge him and Apollos, faithful Christian teachers, and evaluate them and elevate one over the other because at the end of the day, only Jesus Christ can do that because Jesus is their master, not the Corinthian church. In fact, as we see here, they don't have the capacity to be able to judge correctly because only God and Jesus has the ability to see what is hidden in darkness and expose the hearts. Now this is important, right? Because at the end of the day, again, as I gave you the illustration about grandfather, the Corinthian Christians don't know what each role and each task has been assigned to each servant. So it's not up to them to decide to judge each of the servants of Christ. It's only Christ who can judge on the day that He returns. Now it's quite interesting, and um, I think it's quite illustrative and helpful for us. If we actually go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again, right? If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you notice there's a parallel. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, at that time each will receive their praise from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, last week, it says they will be each rewarded according to their own labor. So that means that part of the reward that the faithful servants receive is praise from God. But what I want to draw your attention to is this word from last week. We didn't look at this last week. But I think it's important. It says, they will each be record, rewarded according to their own labor. Now, labor here is by definition faithfulness, right? Faithfulness. If God is the one who gives the growth, as we saw last week, God is the one who brings the fruit, then actually the servants who labor the different roles are actually going to be assessed on their faithfulness, not their fruit. Now, this is really important for us because that was the problem of the Corinthian Christians. They were trying to evaluate based on human outside standards, right? I remember when I was in theological college, 
it was actually an Anglican theological church, college, right? So I had a lot of classmates of mine who were Anglican candidates. Part of the problem for the Anglican candidates in the Anglican church was a lot of my classmates, they didn't want to go out to the West to be pastors because the West in Sydney was where all the immigrants live, all the poorer people live because it's further away from the beaches and everything. And it's a harder ground, right? much harder ground. Everybody wanted to be in the big churches in the east, in the eastern suburbs and the north shore where all the big established churches were in the affluent suburbs. So if you were to compare two of my classmates today, say one who has ministered in the east all their lives, if you go to their church, it may seem very meager and small and very unimpressive. But for the person who is in the big affluent suburbs, with the big established churches, you may say, wow, that person's ministry is doing really well. But at the end of the day, it's only God and Jesus who can judge and can really see. They will be judged not on the fruit, but on the labor and the faithfulness that they've had in bringing the gospel to people. Now, Paul goes on to show us, right? So this is the first part, I think. So they were following the wrong worldly model the model of the arena, the model of theatre, to try to, to be puffed up and to seek prestige and uh, success in each speaker. But Paul says no. Each of them, Paul and Apollos, are servants of Jesus Christ and they can only be judged by Christ. Paul then moves on to say, now brothers and sisters, I've applied these things, these things meaning all of verse 1 to 5, to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. I want to look at this little phrase, right? Do not go beyond what is written. What exactly does Paul have in mind when he quotes this? Some people think that... Uh, He's referring to all the Old Testament quotes that he's made from chapter 1 to 3. Other people think that it's everything that Paul has written so far, chapters 1 to 3. Or it could just be a very generic like saying, basically don't go beyond what you've been told. A bit like uh, keep your finger on the text. I think no matter which option we choose, what Paul is saying is pretty clear. Don't go beyond God's will. Don't go beyond God's wisdom. Don't go beyond God's word. I came across this. Um, okay, so they were being puffed up, but being puffed up and proud actually means going beyond God's word and God's will. So I came across um, <clears throat> this quote last week about God's will and God's word, right? About how it should shape us and what place it has in the Christian life. And I liked it because it's quite pithy and easy to remember. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And what was happening was, by being puffed up in one Christian leader over another, they were actually going beyond, right, more than God's Word. Because God's Word never told them to play favorites among the Christian leaders and pit them one against the other. I wonder whether that's a problem for us as well, where we go beyond 
the Word of God, right? We go beyond what is written. I was reading about how there was a faithful Christian pastor in America who faithfully served in this church for many years, but then a new group of leaders had come in and they brought with them not the biblical model of ministry, but they brought with them worldly business model. And so they set for the pastor a KPI, right? Okay, so every year you must grow the church an X percentage. The finances of the church have to grow an X percentage. The activities of the church have to grow an X percentage. And they were motivated by worldly motivations, right? Not because of biblical ones. They wanted to have the status and prestige of a large church. And in this uh, story that I read, the pastor soon resigned and the, the church members soon felt exhausted in trying to meet all these KPIs. See, the mistake that was made here was that they went beyond what was written, beyond God's intentions for them, God's word to them. And I think that can be a mistake for us too. We can also be puffed up and proud and adopt the worldly attitudes, the worldly motivations, the worldly models, which actually go beyond the word of God. And so it's very important for us to always, as we saw there, to have nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else except the word of God to guide us in our church and personally as well. Now, if you remember, in chapter 1 verse, sorry, 1, verse 3, Paul asked a question about himself, right? Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Now he turns the question around to them. For who makes you different from anyone else? Now, I think we don't really get the tone of this question, but I to- think there's a tone of indignation in this, uh, in this quote here, right? It's like, who on earth do you think you are? Right? What makes you different from other Christians? What makes you different from us? I think the, the reason why he's saying this question is because they're puffed up, right? And so, the, I guess the puffed up over the leaders is actually part of a much broader and wider Christ, uh, problem among the Corinthian Christians, the problem of pride. And I think this is something that strikes at the heart of all of us because we may not be puffed up over our leaders, but all of us struggle with the problem of pride. Now, he says to them, right, who on earth do you think you are? He said to them, okay, go back, sorry. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Now, this is a very important question. Because if everything is given to them and they receive everything from God, then there's nothing to be proud about. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. There's nothing that you can claim for yourself. Now, if you remember, when we were looking all the way back in chapter 1, we actually said it's very important to know the author's intention, the why it was written, right? So we know that part of the problem of the Corinthian Christians was pride. Then when we go back to the introduction, it makes sense how Paul gives thanks for them. In verse 4, it says, I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God does confirming our testimony about Christ among you. 
Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You notice here how overwhelming this is. Everything they have has been given by grace from God to them in Christ Jesus. But it is not just the cross that has been given to them. They have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, with all kinds of knowledge. So not only do they have righteousness, not only do they have holiness, not do they only have redemption, everything they have now still comes from God through grace. So where is pride for us as Christians? Where is there boasting for us as Christians? Now, I think that uh, many of you know that my eldest son is named Joshua, right? Now you may think that, well, you know, Pastor Andrew, he really likes the Old Testament and therefore he likes the book of Joshua and, you know, he gave his son the name Joshua. But that's not actually true. Lah. Now, before Joshua was born, this movie came out and I remember watching it. It's called Searching for Bobby Fisher. It's about this child protege who likes playing chess. And guess what his name is? Joshua, right? So, after I watched the movie, I was thinking, yeah, that's quite a good name. Maybe I'll name my son Joshua. But actually, Joshua was a close first to another name that we were thinking of naming our son. We were thinking of naming Joshua Bradley. But I think Joshua doesn't like Bradley anyway, so good thing we didn't name him Bradley. But the reason why was that we went to a Christian conference and there was a South African pastor by the name of Bradley. I don't know anything about Bradley anymore. I can't remember his surname, but all I remember was he was interviewed in this conference and he may have been quite a successful pastor because the interviewer asked him about his large church in South Africa and asked him about how he resisted the temptation of pride and arrogance. And he said, and I always remember this, he said, how can anyone be proud when they sit under the cross of Christ? And that's really true, right? If you sit under the cross of Christ, how can you be proud? Because everything you have comes to you by the grace of God, through Jesus, through the cross. Now the passage goes on. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Already you've begun to reign and that without us. And how I wish that you really begun to reign so that we also might also reign with you. Now here there's a great contrast between Paul and the Corinthian Christians and how they see themselves. It seems like the way that they view the world is they have everything. All you want, they become rich, they begin to reign. The phrase that keeps being repeated here is this phrase, report already, right? Already you become rich, already you have all you want and that without us. But this is really strange, right? Because again, when we go back and reverse back to chapter 1, we really see that they were not very rich and they were not influential, they were not of noble birth. In fact, they were weak and lowly and despised, right? So why did they have this strange attitude that they had it all? They were rich and they were beginning to reign. I think what they were having was the wrong theology. And so there's this uh, theological phrase, which I'm going to teach you today. It's, 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 it sounds complicated, but actually it's really simple. It's over-realized eschatology. Right? 
Over just means too soon. Realize means already. Eschatology means last things or the end times. And so I think the problem that the Corinthian Christians had was over-realized eschatology. Too soon already, they felt that the things of the last day were already here. And that's why if you look at this passage, they keep saying the word already, right? Already. Already they have all these things. In line with their worldly thinking and the desire for prestige and status and success, it seemed that they had this wrong theology of over-realized eschatology because they thought that by being Christians, they would have all they wanted. They would become rich and they began to reign. And that's why they were pledging support and factions and quarrelings over these Christian leaders. But Paul says this is not the genuine Christian experience. This is not his experience. This is not Apollos' experience. This is not the experience of other Christians. Right? Who do you think you are? In fact, the experience of the Christians and the apostles is very different. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Now, <clears throat> what he's saying here is, in their day, they'll be very familiar with the Romans and their triumphal processions, right? The only similar thing we have now is like Champions League winners or World Cup winners coming back. You know, they had this big procession. But in, in, in the ancient days, when the conquering army came back to Rome or to Roman cities, they would have these huge processions. And at the front of the processions would be the generals, the soldiers, the elite soldiers. And then as the procession progressed through the city at the back, you'd have all the losers, right? All the captured enemy, all the slaves. And so, for the Corinthian Christians, they thought that as Christians, they were at the front. right? They were at the front with all the status and success and adulation. But Paul says that's not really true. He and the other apostles and the Christians, they're at the back. And at the back are those people who are condemned to die in the arena. And this is a picture of how in the ancient days as Christians, those who, I suppose, were really persecuted would go to the Colosseums and they would be killed by gladiators or killed by wild animals. And that's why Paul says that they are condemned to die in the arena. They will be a spectacle to the entire world. Right? Not my spectacles, but spectacle as in they are going to be die. They're going to die in a humiliating way in front of the whole of society. In fact, Paul sums it up by saying that we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. And he emphasizes that by saying, to this very hour, right up to this moment. Now, while the Corinthian Christians were thinking that as a Christian, I'm at the front and I'm going to enjoy all the status and I have it all, the overrealized eschatology, Paul is saying the reality is, as a faithful Christian who lives by the Spirit, as someone who is shaped by the gospel, they are the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world. Now, what does it mean, the garbage of the world? It's a bit like, you know, when you go to the hawker center and you bring your tray back to the tray return area and they put all the gunk in the garbage bins. That's what he's saying. He's saying as Christians, we are viewed that way. 
The scum of the earth is like when you go to the public swimming pool or maybe, you know, you don't clean your, your showers very well at home and there's all the mold growing there, the green stuff. That's the scum that Paul is talking about. And he's saying this is the way that the world views faithful Christians. They are weak. They are fools. They are dishonored. And in many ways, if you think about it, that's what garbage is, right? It's like garbage is repulsive to people, right? When you walk past garbage, you hold your nose. This is what Paul and Apollos say is what Christians are like to the unbelieving world. And so he's saying to them, why is there boasting, right? Why is there pride? Where is their status? The only way you do this is become less faithful to Christ and more like the world. As you become more like the world, then the world finds you less repulsive and elevates you in status. Now, for those of you who... So there's the wrong model, worldly model of the theater, the wrong motivation of being puffed up, the wrong theology of over-realized uh, eschatology. So there should be no boasting about leaders and no pride. Now last uh, week, there was a game between England and Fiji in the rugby. It's quite interesting because in the, when I follow the Guardian, they have this, you know Guardian has all these uh, online uh, kind of live updates about what's happening in the matches and I often follow it to about football games or golf or, or, or rugby. Right? It's interesting because when the Guardian recorded the interview with the, the Fijian captain, right, Waisea, he said, I'm not a perfect man, but I try to be. But that's not what he really said, right? This is what he really said. Okay? This is what he really said. Ulavanaka Waisea, um, first of all, would you like to say a few words to in Fijian? Ulavanaka, and uh, first of all, I want to give back the glory to our Almighty Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect man, but I try to be perfect. And... Uh, uh, I want to say How do I move to the next one? Okay So you can see that actually what he really said was Can you say a few words to us? And he said, yes, I want to First of all, give God uh, Give praise to the mighty Lord Jesus Christ right? And I'm not a perfect man But I try to be as perfect as I can be right? But then why is it When the Guardian recorded his interview they actually cut that out and said, I'm not a perfect man, but I try to be. Right? And I think this is the reality. Right? The more, I guess, the captain of Fiji tries to be faithful as a Christian, and to give glory to Jesus and to be as transparently Christian as he can be, it's actually repulsive to the world. Right? The world actually doesn't see it as honorable, but dishonorable. And so that's why the prosperity gospel in the mega churches gets it so wrong. I remember going to uh, listen to a preacher in the Prosperity Gospel Mega Church once, and he was saying how, as Christians, we are the head and not the tail, we are the top and not the bottom. Right? But, but that's exactly what the Corinthian Christians were saying, right? It's the wrong understanding that what happens when Jesus comes again in the future is yours today. But that's just not true, right? Biblically, it's going beyond what is written. And it's actually, at the end of the day, appealing to worldly values and human wisdom. 
I remember, in conclusion, another Christian leader that uh, I was speaking to from a large, successful church in Singapore told me the strategy in his church was to aim to get high-flying Christians from all the key industries in Singapore to come uh, to their church. The high-flying Christians in academia and politics, entertainment, business, and sport would deliberately try to get these people to come to their church. And the reason was because they wanted to attract people to come to church and to become Christians. Now, I understand the strategy and I appreciate the motivation behind it. But that's going beyond what is written. It's going beyond what we read today, right? It's tapping on the same Corinthian problem of the desire for status, for success, and prestige. In the end, it's a bit like, you know, I become a Christian person because I see a successful person who's a Christian. No different from me wearing my Predator Adidas soccer boots because Beckham wears it, right? Or me wearing my Air Jordan because Michael Jordan wears it or my red Nike golf shirt because Tiger Woods wears it. But the Bible actually tells us today that all that we have comes to us through the grace of God, through the cross of Christ. There's to be no pride, no boasting, no puffing up. In fact, it's an oxymoron, right? You know, oxymoron is when you cannot have two words together. You cannot have proud Christian, right? Or boastful Christian, or puffed up Christian. At the end of the day, as Christians, we're not like the world. We don't seek and desire prestige, status, and success in that way. But rather, we find our meaning, our identity, in the grace of God, in the love of Jesus on the cross, through the grace of God, and that's all. So I hope that for all of us, as we reflect on today's passage, it is something that we need to think about. Am I a proud Christian? Am I a puffed up Christian? Am I going beyond what is written? Am I going back to the world? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, <clears throat> we pray that we may not make the same mistake as the Corinthian Christians, that we would desire and seek success and prestige and status in the eyes of the world, success in the eyes of our peers, but rather that we would recognize that all we have comes through you by grace and generosity to the cross of your son Jesus. All that we have, we have received. So what is there to boast about? Dear Father, help us not to see that being a Christian means that we get the blessings of the end times today, but rather the more Christian we are, the more faithful we are, the less the world thinks of us. The more the world thinks of us as weak, the more the world sees us as repulsive, like the garbage of the earth. But dear Father, help us to see that, that this is the cost of following your Son, Jesus. And pray that we will not go back to the world and its values. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. We now have time for the reflection questions. Am I a person who seeks prestige, status, and influence? Why is this inconsistent as a Christian? Uh, maybe take maybe about five minutes uh, for the reflection questions uh, to discuss this with the person next to you. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. 
For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.